You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. So today I want to look again at um, at the Jets, but this time kind of look at more specifically how the Packers directly match up with the Jets. I tried to not do that yesterday as much as I could, as much as I was tempted to do so. Um, so that'll be the focus of our attention today. Got a couple extra things, not a ton, some injury news um, some Bob McGinn drama, and, um, that's about it, I think. But anywho, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. I'm slipping, man. I keep forgetting again. If you'd like to support the podcast, otherwise there is the, uh, uh PayPal thing. One time donate. I don't know. Again, I told you I got to do it, but I don't want you to do it anyways. Hit me up in January. I got to stay in the routine. I got to stay in the rhythm. But just, just, just wait. Just go enjoy your Christmas. I do, however, have to give a special shout-out to Mr. Ryan once again, who directly disobeyed an order to not donate any money to me and gave me what will probably be my only Christmas bonus of the year. (laughs) So, thanks as always, sir. Otherwise, Packernet.com for all your news, notes, and information. Be sure to jump in the Facebook group, NFLBigBoard.com, if you want to start turning your attention toward the draft. it it, It is the best place to start. One thing I was thinking I wanted to add next year, well, there's a lot of things I want to add, but there's only so much space. After a while, you run out of room on the, the page, but get the height, weight stuff. I was thinking maybe doing secondary positions, as in, like, leave it at safety and then break it down either free or strong, do wide receiver and do boundary and slot, that kind of stuff. I don't know, but it's it's kind of too much. And then have a link for stats, which is kind of a nothing thing for offensive linemen. But uh, for everybody else, it would be a good resource to have. But I don't know. We'll we'll play with that. Maybe if things get kind of stagnant, I'll try to add that. Um, but I don't know. Anyways, all those links are in the description. Also, because I don't feel like looking it up, uh, there is now an official phone number. You can see that in the description as well. I've got it set up to go straight to voicemail. So you can either call or text. Leave me a message. Send me a message if there's any questions. Any just doesn't even have to be a question. It's just a topic, an opinion. I don't care. Now, to be clear, though, this isn't like, hey, if you want to like hang out and chat, I'm not going to be like texting everybody. You can hit me up on Twitter or whatever if you want to talk, but it's just incoming. It's not outgoing, so you won't be getting a response. So please don't message me five times like, did you get the message? Did it, did it work? Like, yeah, dude, I got it. Or still waiting on your opinion. Like, yeah, okay, you're not getting it here. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm not... Talking about anybody in particular, I'm just saying. But again, all that is in the description if you're at all interested. Oh, and also in the draft, um, Pack Daddy NFL is the YouTube channel if you want to check that out. I'm going to try to get a video up today, but um, I'm thinking it's probably not going to happen. But I'm going to do my darndest. Anyways, let's start with the, um, I don't know, the uh, whatever, the dirty work. Administrative, that's the word I was thinking of. Wasn't worth that much effort. So here's what we got. Uh, basically, Kenny Clark is out, which we knew. Will Redman is out, which, again, I didn't even know exactly who that was. Randall Cobb and Jason Spriggs are doubtful. 
Um, the one good thing, though, Brian Balaga is probably going to be playing, so we don't need Jason Spriggs, so that's nice. Randall Cobb is doubtful, which, you know, it definitely doesn't help. Not that Randall Cobb has been all that impactful this year, but it's still, I mean, he's still probably number two, right? It's hard to rank him. He hasn't been on the team very much, and I know Marquez kind of was going off for a while, and probably you could have said he was a number two at one point, but I, I don't know, whatever. It, it's, it's Devontae Adams, and that's it. And then there's just a pile of guys that you hope can help with a couple receptions here and there. And we lost Randall Cobb. Beyond that, I want to talk, I don't know, I I want to talk about this Bob McGinn article in which, um, and I didn't pay for it because I'm just, I'm not, I'll just say for me it isn't worth the value. I don't want to trash his site. But in general, it's just, it's it's tough to, prove to me that you provide value that I can't get for free everywhere. I I actually respect people who are trying to set up these sites just because in my mind it's a losing battle. And if you can actually make it work, like the athletic or like Bob McGinn football, and you can make a living off it, that's pretty awesome. Because I'm looking at it going, dude, there's inside sources everywhere. There's, you know, breakdowns everywhere. But again, you can market yourself as an expert set apart from all the other experts, and actually get people to pay. That's awesome, man. But, you know, I, I just, I'm willing to miss out on these articles once in a while um, because I just, I, I'm not super interested in Bob McGinn's breakdown of the Jets as opposed to the 50 other people who have broken down the Jets this week. But anyways, not trying to dis- dissuade anyone. If, if you like him and you really want to see these inside things and you've got the six bucks a month or whatever... Which isn't much, but you know, then there's Netflix and Hulu and 17 other subscriptions, and it just it adds up. But anyways, as I can gather, without all the insights, because again, I didn't pay for it. Basically, David Rye—I don't know if I said Ray before or what—I it, think it's Rye. Phonetically, it looks more like Ray to me, but I'm, it's Rye. The crux of the article is that the passing offense was not good, largely because of Mr. David Rye. Um, apparently he was doing a terrible job bringing along these wide receivers and um, also was alleged in the article that Aaron Rodgers really, 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 really did not like him at all. Let me just read you a quote because, and listen, this is the other problem with paywall stuff. I know what Mel Kuyper's big board is. You know how I know? I don't pay for the ESPN access because somebody's going to throw it up on Twitter and four other people are going to throw it up on YouTube. I just have to spend an extra 15 seconds you know, using Google creatively or Twitter or whatever, I'm going to find it. It's the same here. So anyways, here is somebody's screen capture of <laughs> of what was said in the article. Let me give you a piece of it. So you can read the beginning part of it. I'll, I'll read kind of the paragraph that gets half cut off. Actually, I'll just read this whole thing here. Sources with inside knowledge of the Green Bay Packers have described David um, Rye, the team's first-year coach of the wide receivers as a weak link of the staff and a contributing factor why the pass offense hasn't really meshed all season. Entrusted by Mike McCarthy with the vital responsibility of bringing rookies Jamon Moore, fourth-round Marquez Valdez-Scantling, fifth-round Equinemius St. Brown, sixth-round, along with free agent Jay Kumaro, up to what had been exacting standards of the Packers' offense, Rye has fallen well short. Here's the alleged quote. It's a little dicey, so I'm going to skip some of the uh, adult language. But it says... They've got three young guys, and they're getting taught by a guy that doesn't understand the offense, said one source. Guys have been, we'll say, complaining about it since August. The quarterback thinks he's a complete fraud. Rodgers pretty much tells him he doesn't know what he's doing. Now, 
the reason I don't want to go too in-depth on this, although I, I love the story just because I want it desperately to be true, because, listen, I just want as many oversimplified reasons as to why this season broke down as is possible. If we can, if, if we could just be so simplistic as to say Mike McCarthy was the one problem, now that he's gone, if we get a new coach, everything's fixed, that makes me happy. Now, the reality is probably that it's a lot of things, and some of these things aren't going to get fixed, and it's a matter of which things will get fixed, which things can get fixed, and, you know, what is going to be the impact of that. Rodgers isn't playing very well. That's a reality that has nothing to do with the wide receivers coach or Mike McCarthy or whatever. I don't know what it has to do with. Maybe even that is broke down into several smaller things, and maybe part of it is Mr. Rye, and maybe part of it was Mike McCarthy. But my point is... That's one of those things that is an additional problem that I don't know how it's going to get fixed, if it's going to fix any of that. The other issue, if you look into this, because again, I'm, I'm relatively new. I'm obviously not new to the Packers, but I've been kind of living on an island. I'm content to have my own opinions, and I'm content to watch the Packers. And I, I mean, Twitter's new to me. So I come on here, and it's like everybody kind of has their opinions of everybody. I, don't even, I didn't know who Aaron Nagler was until like a year ago. I didn't know who Bob McGinn was until about a year ago. Right? I, I turn on the television and I watch the Packers and I turn off the television. That's it. But anyways, it's funny because if you look at, for example, um, Aaron Nagler posted about this article, and then if you read the comments therein, you've got two kinds of people. People that really love and respect Bob McGinn, people really hate Bob McGinn. One of the theories that seems to be popping up, which... Maybe it's credible, maybe it's not, but it's just about as credible as his source of a source, right? In other words, his source is somebody who has a source inside of the Packers organization, or maybe he doesn't. It just says somebody who's familiar with whatever. So anyways, one of the common themes here is Bob McGinn tends to lash out at certain people that refuse to be, you know, sources for him. In other words, he gets grudges and he just lays them out. That doesn't mean it's true or not true. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm coming into this looking at all the information that's just kind of flooding into my brain, and it's just, the only thing that's coming out the other end is, let's just scrap this. It's worth mentioning, because I hope it's true. I mean, not not for Rye's sake. I mean, I, I, up until this article, he was considered a rising star, and he was great, and everybody loved him, and now the article comes out, and it's like, turns out everybody hated him. Mike McCarthy liked him and entrusted him to bring the wide receivers up, and everything was Rodgers' fault and McCarthy's fault, and now all of a sudden it's like, well, everybody really hates this guy outside of Mike McCarthy, and Rodgers wasn't even talking to him, wasn't looking at him, told his wide receivers, according to somebody else who claimed to have a source, directly told his receivers not to listen to Rye, but instead to listen to the passing game coordinator, which then also brought me back to the tongue lashing that Aaron Rodgers gave to the wide receivers, and I kind of started thinking, I wonder if maybe part of that was directed at Rye. The more I thought about it, the more I thought that's probably not the case, but, you know, whatever. The bottom line is, as I've said before, when you're losing, everything is negative, right? Yeah, you, there, there's friction, right? If, if the receivers started playing really well, Rodgers and Rye would be best friends, and Rye would be, you know, looking for an offensive coordinator job. That, that's part of my problem with this whole coaching search in general. It's all just based on production. It has, but it has, how much of it actually has to do with how good of a coach you were? All right, if Aaron Rodgers played better and the rookies played better and we weren't as injured and Mike McCarthy was you know a little bit better as far as a play caller and a decision maker, and if the team played with a little more energy and a little bit more passion, and if we won a few more games, 
that would make the difference between Rye being an offensive coordinator candidate and Rye struggling to find a job somewhere. Well, what is that? I mean, I, I never said that Rye changed anything about the way he coaches or his intelligence or his abilities or capabilities or any of that, which is a constant, which, which should be what we're looking at, but instead we want to look at production. And yeah, we want to see, it, you know, if, if Rodgers doesn't like him, well, that looks bad. Well, he doesn't like him because the guys didn't play well. What does that say about him as a coach? But again, in, in the broader scheme of things, you see a lot more of this stuff when you're losing. But yet, I mean, look, look at all the guys who left Green Bay and went to go coach somewhere else and weren't very good. Why? You know, why was Joe Philbin kind of just like a failure everywhere he went? But he was so successful in Green Bay. Probably the same reason when he came back to Green Bay he wasn't so successful. Because the fact of the matter is there was a very good team filled with a lot of talent that went out and won a lot of games. And everybody looks at Green Bay because, shockingly to me, GMs and owners and all this stuff don't have the the intelligence to say who's a good coach. Instead, they just look at who's producing. It's, it's amazing to me that we want to see who Jared Goff's quarterback coach is. Ooh, who's Pat Mahomes' quarterback coach? Why? Who cares? Why do you care? Well, look how good he is. And? So what? What does that have to do with the coach? Why did the, the Chiefs trade all the way up to get Pat Mahomes if they could have just got a third-round guy and their freakish quarterback coach could have made him a guru, could have made him, could have made him you know, an MVP, a wizard with a football in his hand? Because it's the player. That's why. And there's so many other things. It, it, I don't know. So again, I'm, I'm taking this with a grain of salt. Maybe Rodgers doesn't like him. I don't know. But we've also heard Rodgers doesn't like McCarthy, and Rodgers doesn't like his quarterback coach, and Rodgers doesn't like his receivers, and Rodgers doesn't like his family, and Rodgers doesn't like children, and Rodgers doesn't like puppies, and Rodgers is just an angry, pouty, angry, vile, grinch, hateful person. I made up 90% of that, but, you know, I'm just saying. It's just stuff. It's just stuff, and it's just talk. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was some heat and some friction and some tension. And maybe Rodgers doesn't even know. I don't know. Right? The, the receivers aren't running the right route, so he lashes out at the wide receivers coach. Why can't you get these guys up? And, maybe the receivers are just dummies. I don't know. But again, we, we, we look, we zoom all the way in and say maybe Rodgers is making a judgment call and his frustration is just going outward to a lot of other people. And then you look at that and say you've got a source of a source of a source coming from a source... I don't know, man. I just, I'm not really touching it. It's maybe, he's probably not going to be back anyways. And all I know is whoever the next wide receivers coach is and passing game coordinator and offensive coordinator and and head coach, we're not going to know if they're a good head coach until we find out if we're winning or losing. And what's hilarious about that is that the winning and losing part probably has more to do with the players than it does the coach himself. We could get an absolute fantastic coach who does a great job and comes into a team that has no talent and doesn't want to play and they lose and then it's like oh it looks like all these coaches are terrible conversely we could get terrible coaches that come in and we have a great draft and guys just sort of you know we got a lot of young guys and they play well and it's like ooh, looks like we got great coaches it's just football's crazy man that's why that's why stats don't really tell you very much it's just too intertwined. I mean, you've got 7,000 coaches and you've got a bunch of different players and the players have families and friends and personalities. And then, you know, even on a given play, you've got people blocking and you've got a defense who's impacting what you do and you have a quarterback who's making decisions and you've got a wide receiver making decisions. And if it works, there's 70 reasons why it worked. And if, there's, if it didn't work, there's, you know, 70 reasons why it didn't. The play call, the preparation, the, 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 the speech before the game, all this stuff. It's such an, a, a large, intertwined 
crazy sport. And uh, again, my my, I you know, I give McGinn credit for for being blatantly honest. I hope he is being honest. Again, a lot of people are saying that this isn't honesty. This is just him lashing out. But I I, I don't necessarily think he's flat out lying. I I believe that that quote that came from somebody was an actual quote. So as much as we could say Bob McGinn leveled him, I mean the the harsh part of that came in the form of a quote, which presumably came from somebody else. Again, the reliability of that person, I have no idea. But again, listen, none of this matters. The season's over. You know, Rye's gone, McCarthy's gone, Philbin's gone, everybody's gone. And, um, you know, it's this is just what happens when you lose. Tempers flare up. Coaches get a bad reputation. Players and coaches don't get along. Players and players don't get along. Coaches and coaches don't get along. Win next year and everything takes care of itself. I've been saying that over and over and over again, and that's the biggest thing. Just win. That's it. Never really realized how brilliant that statement was from Al Davis. Just win. Just win, baby. That really is all there is to it. I mean, it's just winning just fixes everything, and there's, there's, there's nothing else to it. You want to fix the locker room? Win. Everything gets fixed when you win. Everything is perfect when you're winning. You want to see a perfect team that has a perfect coaching staff and a, a perfect effort level and a perfect locker room environment? Find me an undefeated team through week 14, right? Everything is perfect. The Rams were perfect up until they were, went on a two-game losing streak and suddenly Goff is garbage and the team's falling apart and Peters is trash and blah, 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 blah. So anyways... It is what it is. Draw your own conclusions on that. But again, it doesn't matter because he's leaving. So, And again, I hope it's true. I hope that he was just this poisonous dum-dum that, uh, you know, ruined our brilliantly fantastic wide receivers. Which, I mean, come on. We're talking fifth, sixth round guys. We're acting like these are ruined first round rookies that should have performed better. I mean, they, they performed they kind of exceeded expectations, even if it was just two weeks from Marquez. What do you really want from these guys? Jamon was a pretty big disappointment, but I don't know. Whatever. You're a sixth-round pick for a reason, okay? That's all I'm saying. So, first of all, looking uh, at the upcoming game, it is on the road, uh, but it's, I mean, pretty perfect conditions. We're talking December 23rd. We're looking at 40-degree weather. Sunny and 40. This is just the greatest thing that has ever happened. I know it's coming. I know that vortex is just going to hit and it's going to hit hard. Winter is like chicken pox, man. The later it hits, the harder it hits. But that's okay. I'll take it. I'd rather have intense suffering for two and a half, three months as opposed to, you know, single digit and blizzard starting mid-November. But anyways, weather is just going to be perfect, which means there's just no excuses for anybody in this game. It's not supposed to rain. It's not supposed to snow. You know, 8-mile-an-hour wind. I mean, we're not talking 30-mile-an-hour wind gusts or anything. Just just, just perfection. Just a nice, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool temperature, too, which is nice. It's not hot, but you're going to be running around. It's, 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 it's nice. You're not freezing cold, but it cools you off when you're, when you're, you know, playing real hard and whatnot. So we've got no excuses whatsoever. Correct? Correct. So I kind of laid out yesterday that this is going to be two offenses that are going to struggle. Um, primarily because these are two offenses that can't seem to figure out how to get going. And um, as far as defense, the Jets' defense is really coming on pretty strong. And although they're not the Bears, I think they have some ability and match up pretty nicely against the Packers. Plus, I mean, it's just it's more to do with the 
the offense's ineptitude in, in both instances. I mean, the, the Packers at their best annihilate the Jets' defense. It's not even close. The problem is I just don't trust them to beat these guys. And then on top of that, with the injuries, the fact that we don't even have really any running backs up against a really good run team, you know, again, how are we going to move the ball? So that, that's kind of the story here. It's, it's a matter of which offense is going to figure out how to score. Um, our defense is not very good, and I think things are getting worse, right? We saw Breland and Jair were like the two worst defensive players last week. We can't have that. I mean, this should be an open and shut case for the most part, at least as far as them being able to throw, because their quarterback is very inconsistent, their wide receivers are trash, and we have good enough corners to be able to shut them down, usually. But if our defense has given up, which, again, as somebody who's rooting for a tank here, I'm okay with it, but trying to find a way to win, we can't have that. Especially since this is also an offense that, even though they're horrible, as I said yesterday, we're starting to see more consistency, but also we've seen now, I believe, three games... I think two of which were in the 40s, one was mid to high 30s. So they have the ability to just occasionally go off. And the way that this year has gone wouldn't super surprise me if it was this week that they go off again because just been one of those years. So one of the things that I usually like to start off with is uh, these correlations. In other words, at what point does a team win or lose? And I want to do the the Jets as well as the Packers to kind of get a good look at things. Um as far as looking at the score, the the games that the Jets have won have all been 27 or more points. So they, they had all their kind of crazy games, 48 points, 42 points, 34 points, and then they had their more recent game where I said they're, they're scoring consistently in the 20s, but the high 20 game, the 27 against the Buffalo Bills, they also won. However, every other game outside of that has been 22 points or less from their offense, and they lost every single one of them. Now, I also mentioned that their defense seems to be getting more consistent, so I genuinely believe this is going to come down to, if we're looking for a Packers win, the Packers have got to get over 20. And I, I've been pretty dead on with these, at least in so far. I mean, it's, it's relatively easy when I say we have to score at least 25. They don't get to 25 and we lose, but that, that's just the way it's gone. I believe it was the exact same number last week with the Bears. I think I said if you get over 22, we win, and we didn't, and we lost. Now, I can't say if we get over 22 because there's a gap between that, so so basically we have to keep them under 27. I don't know what happens at 25 because they've never scored 25. <laughs> uh, looking at the defense, there isn't nearly as strong of a correlation. They lost a game when they the opponent had, or they excuse me, they won a game when the Colts scored 34. They also lost a game when the uh, defense kept the Dolphins to 13 because the offense could only get to 6. But in general, over 23 points, or 24 and above, the only game they won was against the Colts. So we'll call that our benchmark. 24 points is kind of what we're shooting for. So we'll call that the number. Because again, their their number was somewhere between 22 and 27. The defensive number seems to be around 24. So we'll say 24 is the number we want to get above, and we want our defense to keep them below. If we flip over to the Green Bay Packers, that actually also kind of makes sense, because 24 sort of is the benchmark. The Packers are 1-6 in, in games in which they've scored um, less than 24 points. The only game was 22 nothing against the Bills. And once again, that was a game in which Rodgers said that was horrible. So 24 points is a pretty good benchmark. Packers are 4-2-1 when they've scored 24 or more points. The only games they lost, 24-27 to the Seahawks, 27-29 to the Rams. Again, 24 makes sense if you look at the Packers on defense. When the Packers have held a team to less than 24 defensively, the Packers are 4-1. and one. The only loss came against the Arizona Cardinals. The Packers are 1-7-1 when teams have scored 24 or more points. So 
from both the Jets and the Packers' standpoint, 24 is the number. That's it. If the Jets score more than 24, the Packers are going to (laughs) lose. That's just the way it's gone. Same for the Jets, though. When a team gets up to about 24-ish, they lose. So it's kind of a race. But also from the defensive standpoint, try to keep it. But but I don't even think it's a challenge for the defense. This is a challenge. for These are two offenses that struggle to get to 24. Right, the Packers typically win when they get to 24. Their record is better than than not when they get to 24, and they have a terrible record because the Green Bay Packers for seven games now haven't even got to 24, which should be automatic for the Packers, but it's just not. Another big correlation for the Packers, and maybe this is why Jair is kind of going so crazy trying to jump these routes. Um, there's a very strong correlation between turnovers and victories. The Packers are four and zero when they get two or more turnovers. They had two against the Falcons, two against the Dolphins, three against the Bills, three against the 49ers. They won all four of those games. The Packers are 1-3-1 and one with one turnover. So when they get one turnover, their, their record is 1-3-1. and one. They beat the Bears, they tied the Vikings, they also lost to the Bears, lost to the Redskins, lost to the Seahawks. The Packers are 0-5 when they do not have a turnover. So 24 points and two turnovers are the big benchmarks here. The Jets aren't quite as strong of a correlation, but the one thing that is for sure, they also have not won a single game without a turnover. They're 4-3 and three when they have at least one turnover. So turnovers are going to be pretty important in this game as well. All right, looking at the specific layout of this game, I think the Packers have a pretty good opportunity to protect Rodgers. Again, we got Bakhtiari and we have Balaga in. The right guard spot is just a mess. It doesn't matter who goes in there. It's not going to be very good. However, the Jets' interior, although it's pretty solid... Believe it or not, their best interior player is Mike Pinnell. You may remember him. I actually really liked Pinnell. I didn't want him to leave when he did. Now, granted, he's playing way above what anybody would have expected. I mean, he's currently ranked the 13th best defensive lineman in the country. He's a a rotational guy, but still, we're talking about 300 snaps. It's not a very small sample size. Um, But the biggest thing, though, is most of these guys are run defenders. So Mike Pinnell's biggest strength is, is run defense. Now, him and Leonard Williams are decent pass rushers. But that's not their biggest strength. Leonard Williams, Steve McClendon, Mike Pinnell, Henry Anderson, all pretty good football players, all of them primarily run defenders. So center of the line, we've got a real good opportunity to protect Aaron Rodgers. I think on the edge, we've got a really good opportunity to protect Aaron Rodgers because they do not have good uh, outside linebackers. They do not have good pass rushers. Um, The one thing you really got to watch out for with the Jets, though, is Although they're outside linebackers, inside linebackers, defensive line, they're not super adept at pass rushing. They're safeties and corners, primarily Buster Scrine coming out of the slot, as well as both, uh, well, Jamal Adams, Marcus May is on IR, but Jamal Adams, they're strong safety, very, very, very good pass rushers. So Buster Scrine in the slot and uh, Jamal Adams coming off from the safety spot, who could be just about anywhere. He could be in the box, he could be up high, he could be in the slot. It's actually very similar to, well... (laughs) Imagine this, Mike Pettin and the Jets, very similar, right? They they're, don't have very good pass rushers on the field. However, they find ways to use their corners and safeties to get sacks. So I would assume there's still a little bit of that Mike Pettin flavor over in New York. So that's going to be the biggest thing. And I think for the Jets, too, in order to win, it's going to be a lot of confusion. So as far as you know, the offensive linemen are concerned, we really just need intelligence right we saw issues in the past with some of these guys where there's confusion you've got certain guys not passing off you got certain guys coming unblocked because they're just not reading it correctly right you got David Bakhtiari trying to block two guys because Lane Taylor is helping out the center and you got two guys coming off the edge 
well, that's going to be a sack every time because David Bakhtiari can't block two guys as good as he is. Same is true from the other side. So these guards have got to understand what's going on. They've got to account for all the guys. They got they can't have free rushers coming. That's what the Jets are going to try to do is try to confuse. Outside of that, as I mentioned, running the football is going to be very, very tough. The Jets have some big boys up front that are very good at stopping the run. Avery Williamson, the linebacker, is a very good run defender. Pretty terrible in coverage, uh, but they do have Darren Lee, who's phenomenal in coverage. So they've, they've got the yin and yang there. So it's not like, even if even if we had a linebacker that could stress them, it's really not an issue as far as getting help there because they've got the strong safety. They've got Darren Lee, who's very good at it. So they have the pieces and tools they need to match up, and that's kind of the biggest problem. They don't have elite pieces, but they've got enough pieces to at least have a person that can handle the responsibility. So running the ball is going to be really tough, and I know we've seen Mike, or excuse me, um, Joe Philbin try to commit a little bit more to the run. It's going to be interesting because it kind of makes sense for a lot of reasons, not just because, yeah, we need to be running more, but protecting Aaron Rodgers and trying to open up the passing game. A lot of that has to do with running the football, and I think that was kind of his strategy. However, now we have to be concerned about injuries. We have to be concerned about getting through this game with running backs. So I would think that, I, I, I guess I don't know. I think if we just decide we're going to drop back and throw it a lot, it's going to cause problems. Because here, here's the here's what the Jets are going to do. I'll just tell you flat out what they're going to do. They're going to play light. And I've, I've been saying this for a while. They're going to play in their nickel. They're going to play in dime. They're, they're just going to play with a lot of defensive backs on the field. And they're going to say, if you want to run, it's up to you. Go ahead and try it. And I don't think we're going to be able to. We don't have an offensive line that can run block. We don't have Aaron Jones who can really kind of gash him for big yards and make him think twice. Jamal Williams, maybe he can, you know, do something. But it's going to be one, and it'll probably be for about seven, right? That's going to be a big gain for him, and the, the Jets don't care. They'll give you seven once every five, six carries, meaning maybe he'll do it once or twice. And I don't know what we're going to get from Mr. Bibbs. But then essentially what we're going to have is a, a team that is a defense that is just stacked with defensive backs. They're going to be doubling up Devontae. Uh, they're going to be mixing in blitzes, trying to keep Aaron Rodgers on his toes. And then you've got just the, the usual problems, right? I mean, if you had the the classic, you know, we'll say 2011 Packers. It doesn't need to be that crazy, but just 2014 Packers, whatever. This wouldn't be much of a problem because you've got the chemistry. Everybody understands the offense. The the, the Packers, the wide receivers and the quarterback understand each other, and this wouldn't be an issue, but we've got all these problems. And especially when we got blitzes coming around, now you've got offensive linemen that need to make adjustments that aren't making adjustments. You have Rodgers making adjustments and wide receivers not understanding, and it's just, it's it's problems. It's It's a lot of problems. And it really is just going to be up to the Packers doing one of two things. Either you have to beat them at their best in the passing game, which you're probably going to have to do anyways, because I don't think we're going to get them out of that. I mean, if we're able to run well enough to get them out of that, then props, kudos. But I think the only way they ever decide we're going to stop playing nickel and start playing base is if our passing game is just so horribly inept. And they're, they're like, I guess we, we're good just playing man-to-man and then we'll just stack the box and say, okay, it's on you. But either way, it's going to be up to the Packers overcoming that. If they stack the box, we got to run against the stack box. If they're playing nickel, if they're playing dime, if they're playing whatever, we got to be able to throw against that. Because we just don't have the personnel. We don't have the people to just say, hey, if you do this, we do that. That's kind of the goal of what the Packers have always tried to do. It's why we like tight ends and all this stuff, because we can mismatch. This, this team can't mismatch anything. We've got a quarterback and a wide receiver, and that's it. It's Rodgers and Devontae. We don't have Aaron Jones anymore. Marquez doesn't have it anymore. EQ doesn't have it anymore. Randall Cobb isn't on the field. Jay Kumaro isn't up to speed. We haven't seen anything from him. I, there's just nothing, man. Geronimo's on IR. 
Jamon can't get on the field. You know, I mean, it, do we expect Lazard to just jump on the field and do something? No, I mean, th- this is going to be just like everything else. It's, it's Aaron Rodgers is going to go out, and he's going to make it the Devontae Adams show. And I, I think Devontae, assuming Rodgers and Devontae play these last two weeks, has a good chance of, of breaking some records here because that's it. That's what Rodgers wants to do, and that's what they're going to do, and Devontae's good enough that he's going to have his spots. But these receivers just aren't good, man. And and to the guy on YouTube who was all upset about, oh, no, Marquez and EQ are, are great, it's just Rodgers that's bad. Okay. I, I, I mean, I, I'm not even going to say they're they're bad, but I, I just, listen, <laughs> looking at pro football focus, they're all bunched. They're all, I mean, if you just look at pro football focus and rank the wide receivers, you've got about, let's see, one, two, three, we've got four wide receivers within five spots of each other. Between 99 and 104, you have um, Allison, Marquez, St. Brown, and Cobb between 99th rank and 104th rank. The best wide receiver we had was Geronimo Allison, who was graded as the 99th best wide receiver. The worst wide receiver that we have graded, Randall Cobb at 104th. Basically, they're all the exact same. There's no difference in the quality of these wide receivers insofar as Pro Football Focus has scouted them. Again, it's very hard to make these determinations. clearly they're blaming the wide receivers sometimes as opposed to Aaron Rodgers, who they have graded very, very highly, sixth highest graded quarterback on the season, which again, I'm very comfortable with that. Maybe I'm just being, I don't want to say I'm being biased, but I'm being hopeful because I want that to be the case. I, I want someone to tell me, no, 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 wide receivers are just trash. Because if you're telling me Aaron Rodgers is trash, our season, our, our, we're, we're doomed, man. That's it. So I'm more than comfortable with the folks at PFF saying we've been watching every snap of every wide receiver and we're, we're putting it on the wide receivers, right? We're watching them run their routes even when the ball doesn't go their way and they're just not getting open, they're not getting the job done, they're not doing enough, they're not getting it done. Great. Thank you for that. Merry Christmas to you too. But anyways, looking at the specifics of the wide receivers versus their corners, we do not have Cobb in the slot. It's kind of an interesting dynamic here, um, trying to figure out who's going to... I mean, it's going to be both... Equinemius and Marquez playing in the slot, but who's going to be the primary slot guy is kind of an interesting question. Marquez has done more slot work than um, Equinemius, but if you look back over the last three weeks when um, Randall Cobb was not playing, that would have been 10, 11, and 12. In weeks 10 and 11, it was Marquez primarily in the slot, um, and then in week 12, they gave that to Equinemius. So my thought was, well, maybe they... Because, that's, listen, that's been my thing the whole time. Equinemius is going to be a pretty good slot receiver, but whatever. They seem to like Marquez in that role as well. Over the last three weeks, it's been kind of mixed. Uh, that's with Randall Cobb still in the uh, primary, or in, in, in the slot role back at, you know, in the roster. Playing again, whatever. Uh, but you had Marquez with eight snaps from the slot in week 13, Equinemius with only four Week 14, Equinemius had three, and uh, Marquez had one. And then in week 15, Equinemius had seven, and Marquez had eight. So actually, the last two weeks, they've been very, very similar. And it's just been kind of alternating who goes in the slot from week to week. Maybe that's based on matchup, but I kind of doubt it because they're very similar. They're both very tall. They're both pretty fast. However, if you had to break it down, you know, Equinemius is maybe the better route runner little bit taller, not quite as fast. Uh, Marquez is, uh, you know, we'll just call him the straight speed guy. So, and it, you know, and it, it could just be not even match up team to team, but situation to situation. 
and uh, just kind of mixing things up, you know, play to play. Certain plays, it may make more sense for the, depending on what you want your slot receiver to do, it might make more sense to have Equinemius or Marquez. So there could be play-to-play differences between who plays in the slot. But anyways, bottom line is they're going to be sharing responsibility there as well as on the outside. Jay Kumaro uh, played almost exclusively on the outside. He's only played one uh, snap from the slot in week 14, 30 so far out on the boundary. Another interesting thing to note, Marquez's snaps have actually gone down. Um, Again, shout out to the guy who uh, was talking about how great these guys are. Marquez this past week went from 30 snaps down to 21 snaps. And listen, maybe he got hurt at some point, I don't know. But the week prior to that, well, that was with with Randall Cobb out, so I won't, I won't mention that. But he had 21 snaps. Equinemius, not including special teams, which he also had a few snaps, played uh, 32 snaps. So a significantly higher number, which, you know, pretty much everybody seems to think that Marquez is the guy, but it, I'm, what I'm showing you is that it kind of seems like maybe there's a changing of the guard a little bit. Beyond that, Jay Kumaro had 21 snaps, as well as a, a significant special teams role. So Kumaro played as many snaps with his you know third week back, which he was officially back, right? Week one, five snaps. Week two, four snaps. Week three, 21 snaps. So he's back. So we're seeing Marquez dip and Jay Kumaro rise to the point where Equinemius is basically wide receiver two right now. Jay Kumaro could possibly be wide receiver three with Marquez as wide receiver four. Again, depends on situation, depends on matchup. We could see this change all entirely. But again, Marquez for three weeks in a row, his snaps have gone down. Jay Kumaro is now exploded into that role. And maybe it's because Jay Kumaro is out wide. And if you put Equinemius in the slot, Equinemius is going to have a bigger role. And then you have Marquez and Jay Kumaro essentially sharing responsibilities out on the boundary. As could be that, that could also possibly be what the situation is. However, again, Marquez was had more snaps than Equinemius in the slot. So as much as we could try to make that the case, Equinemius St. Brown had 34 snaps out on the boundary compared to Marquez's 21, or not even 21, he had 13 out on the boundary. 31 compared to Jay Kumaro's 21 compared to Marquez's 13. I'm not saying, I'm just kind of saying a little bit. So anyways, interesting dynamic there. Um, they have, as I mentioned yesterday, Tremaine Johnson, who was their big free agent signing. Um He's not at Devontae Adams' level. He's not quite as good as some of these Bears corners, but he's pretty good. He's going to be lined up against Devontae Adams. I don't know if they're going to use him in shadow coverage. I feel like that would be the smart thing to do. If not, Devontae Adams will probably just head over here and hang out with Morris Claiborne for a while and just dominate the Jets. Um, now, if that is the case, they'd probably end up shadowing. You know, they, They'd bring Mr. Uh, Jamal Adams or uh, Mr. Daryl Roberts or whoever over to help with double coverage. But uh, that that's sort of an easy one. Devontae Adams and Tremaine Johnson is going to be the matchup there. Now, one thing, and I mentioned Buster Scrine as their slot corner, and he's not been very good. He's not good at all. One of the real benefits here with having, regardless of who it is, whether it's Marquez or EQ, Buster Scrine is 5'9", 185. This could be a good equanimous game just because you got a 5'9 guy going up against a 6'5 guy. We're talking 8 inches, man. Dude, that that's kind of crazy. He ran a 448, so I mean he's he's not even that fast. I mean he he ran a 448, meaning he's probably in the 45s now. Equinemius ran a 448 and he's the slow guy. So speed isn't really a thing. I mean if you just want to blow past him, fine. Put Marquez in there, he'll blow right by Buster Scrine, but there's really no reason to because you got Equinemius who's going to be faster, but he's also 8 inches taller. I that makes sense to me. 
either way, it makes sense because I think uh, what is Marquez six four. So either way, uh, the other boundary corner, Morris Claiborne, somewhat of a disappointing uh, guy because he was a first round draft pick, hasn't really lived up to that. But uh, again, I mean, he he's just more sort of like a Josh Jackson kind of guy. There's nothing athletically or physically gifted about him. He's just a good football player. And that was kind of the thought process here with Mr. Morris Claiborne. Unfortunately, that hasn't really panned out. So he's only 5'11", 188. He ran a 4'540". So again, Marquez is, if he's on the boundary, going to tower over the guy. And uh, Claiborne runs a 4'5". Marquez is just going to absolutely feast. So that, that presents a problem for the Jets. First of all, you can't blitz a safety and have shadow, or excuse me, and have um, double coverage on two different guys, right? You you kind of have to pick if you want to have single high safety and you want to have double coverage on somebody. Who are you going to pick? You got to go with Adams. The problem is, what if you're not bringing Mr. Morris Claiborne any help? He's just going to get feasted upon. So then you got your single high safety kind of shaded to one side. I mean, maybe he's got the range. I don't know. Which kind of leads me to believe maybe you don't want to go single high. Maybe you don't want to make that a double coverage kind of situation, which means Devontae Adams is going to be one-on-one, especially if you're going to occasionally be blitzing your safeties. We got to make him pay for that because now you're you're bringing a safety down. And if Rodgers can read that, he knows he's either got, got Devontae one-on-one, which is an ideal situation regardless of it's Tremaine Johnson or not, or you've got Marquez or EQ on the outside. And it's like, you know what? You just go, just go, just beat them and go because we're going to take the top because they're bringing a safety. So look, the, the bottom line is this is, this is, a beatable team, I just don't think the Packers have what it takes this year to beat them. It's actually somewhat embarrassing that I don't think we have what it takes to beat this defense. Win the game, yeah, maybe, but it's primarily going to be because their offense couldn't do better against our defense than our, our offense could do against their defense because their offense is just more inept. But I'm looking at this, especially from the corner standpoint, and man, oh man, you talk about the Green Bay Packers and what they usually do through the air. I mean, this should just be an absolute feast. This, this is just classic Packers feast time. Unfortunately, I don't know, because they've got mediocre corners and Scrine and Claiborne, and mediocre is probably good enough. They don't have the speed, they don't have the height, but, you know, does it matter? Probably not. And then again, they have two very good safeties, so, you know, help over the top, whether it's double coverage, whether it's blitzing, whether it's whatever, these are the kinds of things that are going to hurt us and limit us in what we're going to be able to do. So, it's, I mean, it's just going to be tough sledding, but um, at the end of the day, it's kind of old school Mike McCarthy beat your guy, right? That there's going to be a weakness on this defense, especially through the air. Rodgers is going to know what it is. He's going to be able to read it. The question is, he's going to make an adjustment. Can the play work? Right At that point, it's execution. Here's what they're doing. I can see what they're doing. Here's what we need to do and why. Right? We're going to do this because then this is going to happen and we're going to end up winning, but it still comes down to execution, which means the, the receiver has to understand the route, has to execute the route, and then Rodgers has to actually throw a good ball. Every step of the way, the Packers haven't been able to do those things. Understanding the call, running the right route, and then Rodgers throwing a good pass. None of those things ever seem to happen. Anyways, let's flip it and look at their offense versus our defense, and it's just about as sad, to be completely honest. The the defense is just down to bare bones for the Packers. This offensive line is probably the worst we've gone up against all year. It's just an absolute disaster. I know we've played the Vikings and we've played the Seahawks, but this is really bad. Quali, like I said, right tackle is about the worst offensive lineman we've gone up against. He's the right tackle, so Clay Matthews primarily is going to be able to have that opportunity. The, the good thing about this, though, is I don't know that Pett needs to get too cute with it. 
he might have to anyways, and he might choose to anyways, but I think this is an opportunity where we can look at Alexander and Jackson and, and Tony Brown and Breland and whoever else is going to be out there and say, you know, just just play your coverage, and we're going to focus on the guys, you know, the front, you know, front six, front whatever, front seven, whatever it happens to be. We're going to just count on them getting home. The problem is we just don't, I mean, we, we, we don't have Mike Daniels. We don't have Kenny Clark. Clay Matthews isn't any good. Perry's gone. Gilbert hasn't done anything. Lowry had a really bad week last week, and, and primarily, strangely, because two years ago when he had a good uh, good run, it was he was a good pass rusher. Like He was just the, that get-up-the-field kind of athletic third-down guy. Now he's primarily um, defensive tackle. You know, obviously he's a defensive tackle. Primarily a run-stopping guy. And he's not even good at that, really. So again, we, we have a lot of opportunities. I just don't know what we're going to be able to do. If this was Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels and you know, Perry on an even mediocre year and Matthew, you know, if it was, if this was Matthews and Perry just last year with Kenny Clark and, and, uh, and Mike Daniels, Sam Darnold would not survive this game with an occasional blitz from Jones and, and Blake and Martinez and a corner and a safety and whatever. I mean, he would just, he would not survive the game. I don't know that we touched Darnold in this game. I mean, we probably will. We've had some success, but very little. We just, we just don't have anybody left. And again, maybe, Maybe possibly Fackrell has another big game, and may- maybe Matthews gets another sack in this game. I don't know, but I think Darnold's going to be relatively comfortable as compared to. I mean, again, they just played the Texans last week. They they've played two of the top defenses in the NFL two of the last three weeks. The Packers are a breeze compared to what they've gone up against. Um, they do have a similar situation with running back with Isaiah Crowell and Bilal Powell both on IR, leaving them with Elijah McGuire. They also have a guy by the name of Joel. Buonio on their team. You might remember that name. Always makes me uncomfortable we go up against a team that has one of our players on their roster. Like, come on, man. Why you gotta be cheating? <laughs> Quit telling them stuff. I don't know. I think that's kind of overblown anyways. They're not giving them specific calls because all that stuff has changed. And anything jo- Joel Buonio can tell them is something that they can probably already see on tape anyways. In other words, what they've seen on tape the last three, four, five weeks is probably more telling and valuable than anything that Buonio could have told them about what we were doing in week one and two and in the preseason and whatnot. But anyways, it's, it's a situation where McGuire is not a very good running back, but we don't have a very good ability to stop the run. We were horrible last week. Not not just general ability to beat blocks, but then when you have the ability to make a tackle, nobody's making the tackle. Um, unfortunately, as I've said in the past, as much as you know, I think a lot of Packer fans get hyped up about our corners. We we really just don't have very good corners. Jair Alexander had a terrible week last week. He's a good he's a good corner. I like Jair, but he's kind of it. So we got Jair taking somebody out of the equation here. Probably Robbie Anderson. I'm not really sure. Doesn't really matter. It'll it'll depend. But we got Tony Brown. We got Breland, who was terrible last week. Breland, who had like one good week, and everybody said he said he's just the greatest, even though he's been kind of mediocre through his entire career. We got Josh Jackson, who's been pretty, I don't want to say terrible because that's not fair. He's already better than we had from Randall and Rollins. I mean, he's, he's, he's graded as mediocre and I'll take mediocre compared to what we, I'll take this situation with a mediocre Brown, a mediocre Breland, a mediocre Jackson, and a good Alexander any day of the week compared to what we've had. But the idea that we have a really good corner group just isn't the situation we're in. I think we have a good defensive coordinator who does really good things, who's very intelligent, who can make things happen. But I, I think we need better development of our corners because similar to the wide receivers, we have the talent and I'm just not seeing much. I, I think what we see out of Alexander is just sort of what we got out of the box. 
In fact, I think that's fair to say about just about everybody on this team. Who was the last guy you remember that, that developed? Fackrell? Fackrell kind of developed. Who else has developed? The, the linebackers, I think Martina, Blake Martinez and Jake Ryan developed nicely. I never saw development from corners, I don't think ever once. You had guys that were good, you had guys that weren't good, and that was just the way that it was. I don't remember ever seeing development from safeties. We got a second-round draft pick, Josh Jones. He just he can't get it. He just can't figure it out. I mean, our outside linebackers, I know there's linebacker coaches in general, but I, I mean, if there's a difference between the two, I'm not seeing anything from outside linebackers. Well, I guess I just said Fackrell, and he's an outside linebacker, so we'll say the linebackers are doing something. Defensive line, maybe. I mean, the, the defensive backs in general are just terrible. Wide receivers, there's no development there. Yeah, Devontae Adams was developing. That's cool. Who else? Cobb is, as I said, Cobb is still young. It's, it's, we treat him like he's a 34-year-old guy who's over the hill. He's like, what is he, 28, 27? He's young. There's no reason for him to regress the way that he's regressing. We're not seeing development from our young rookie wide receivers. We're not seeing regression from, progression from anybody. Kumaro, is, he was good out of the box. right? He came here and he was awesome. He's not developing into anything. Now, running backs, are they developing? No. Aaron Jones was good when he hit the ground running. Jamal Williams is what he's always been. He, he's, he's the same guy he always was. We're not seeing anything, any improvement from them. I don't know. Bottom line is, I don't know. I don't want Mike Pettin to go anywhere, but I wouldn't be too upset if in the midst of this overhaul, Mike Pettin goes out and gets a few of his own guys for position coaches because especially the defensive backs, I'm just not seeing anything ever. Jair is our first good corner in a very long time, and he's not developing. He's just what he always was. He's as good now as he was in week one. And him and Jackson are nowhere near as good as they were in the preseason. You know, draft and develop makes a lot of sense, but you got to have develop. I mean, draft is important, but, you, you know, otherwise otherwise the draft looks terrible. I mean, look at how many of these guys we were excited about that aren't developing. Mean, Oren Burks, what happened to him? He's terrible. That was something else. Yet another guy on the YouTube channel tried to convince me of. Oren Burks is really good. They're just taking his opportunities away. I said, excuse me, no. They took his opportunities away because he's trash. You think they don't want to play Oren Burks? Of course they do. They would love to play him. They can't because they can't trust him because he's not good. Where's the development? Where's the teaching? Where's the coaching? And listen, sometimes guys are bad, but we're talking about first-round pick Demarius Randall. We're talking about second-round pick Kevin King. Where's his development? Where's Josh Jones' development? Where was Quentin Rollins' development? Where's Oren Burks' development? Where's Jamon Moore and Equinemius St. Brown and, and, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling? Where's the development? Where's the improvement? We're talking early-round guys that have all the talent and all the tools in the world, and it's just... It's just a pile of tools out there. It never gets developed into a football player. It's like we just get him, and it's like, oh, wow, he's really fast and really tall. Cool, go out there and play. And he's like, uh, okay. And he just runs really fast and hits people hard. And it's like, well, that's not that's not really what... Well, I don't know, teach him something. Seriously, though, who? Who as a defensive back has developed? Kevin King is not getting better. I know he's injured. But the production isn't there. He's a developmental guy. I don't want developmental guys anymore if we can't develop guys. Get pro-ready guys. Get me Kenny Clark every year, a guy that's just out-of-the-box good. Give me Jair Alexander every year, out-of-the-box good. I don't want tools anymore. I don't want the Marquezes. I don't want high-upside guys because we can't develop the high-upside guys. Give me the safe picks. Give me the guy in the fourth round who's going to be mediocre for his entire career because at least we can use him. I don't know. It's just, it's just frustrating. 
because I've come to expect this from the Packers. Like it's it's you know we always say, well, you got to give them time. You can't just judge them based on one year. Well, I kind of can. I'm just I'm used to it at this point. We get draft picks. There's all the hype, and then there's none of the production, and they just don't ever produce. And that it's to the point where we're excited about Fackrell. Come on, he's not that good. He's not. I know it's exciting because hey, he's kind of worth something. But he's like Lane Taylor, man. I want him as a backup. You know, in a rotation, fine. I don't want to be excited about that. How many other teams have freaks on their team? How many other guys drafted second, third, fourth round guys that are freaks? Whether it was 2018, 2017, 2016, you know, you look at the Bears defense, and again, you got the steps, the ladders, the guys that just get better every single year. Who's doing that in Green Bay? You get what you get, and that's it. And I'm just, it's frustrating. I want, I want better than that. Why can't these guys get better? Why do they come to Green Bay and they're capped out? And then, by the way, they go somewhere else, especially corners and defensive backs, and they get better. Micah Hyde, after he left here, was one of the best safeties in the NFL. Tremont Williams last year was one of the best corners in the NFL. He comes back to Green Bay and he's just not good anymore. When he was a corner, he wasn't that good. He was mediocre. The coaching is a problem. The coaching is just a problem. Offensively, defensively, I don't want to go down this path again, but it's a problem. And again, you got McCarthy just hiring people and he wants to hang on to his people. He doesn't want to fire anybody. He doesn't want to upgrade. Blah, 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 blah. Enough of that. Enough. We've got a clean house. We need development. I mean, this is going to be a draft and develop team, and it should be a draft and develop team. But the second part of that is developing. If you're not developing, you're you're just you're failing, because a GM can't draft guys that are just studs in seven rounds and just upgrade the team that way. There's only going to be maybe one or two guys that are out of the box pro ready. You got your first round, maybe second round. After that, there's going to be have, there's going to have to be development. What a waste of talent Ty Montgomery was. Guy had all the tools in the world. Could have been a good running back, could have been a good wide receiver. We couldn't use him as either. He just stayed a tweener. He, he was, he was a, a mediocre running back that, I mean, we couldn't even use him as a receiving back. I mean, what a, what a great little hybrid that would have No, we couldn't do it. Didn't know how. McCarthy didn't know how to call up plays for him. Didn't know how to develop him into one. Didn't know how to run an offense around something like that. It just looked ugly and, and fumbling and just garbage. Sorry, I know I'm supposed to be talking about the Jets, but I'm just not happy. Anyways, let's continue on here. Bottom line is, they don't have very good wide receivers, and we don't have very good defensive backs. Bashad Breland um, apparently has played some time at safety. He may be... We, we might just have two corners at safety with Bashad Breland and Tremont Williams. I don't know exactly how that's going to break down, but the bottom line is, it, Breland is probably our second best corner. It'd be nice to have him out there. I think with Breland and Jair, we have a pretty good chance of of taking away their passing attack. We're still going to have to find a guy in the slot to take away Mr. Jermaine Curse, even though he's not very good. Somebody still has to be able to play it. That's probably going to be Josh Jackson, who's not all that great, but still, hopefully good. I mean, th- this this has every opportunity to be a big confidence booster type game. Tremont Williams, we saw with undercutting routes, super smart. He has the opportunity to, to get a pick, especially with a young rookie quarterback. You got inept uh, wide receivers. The, the the opportunity to get a pick here, especially with Jackson, who was a ball hawk in college, Jair, who had a pick in preseason, who's who's been hunting for a pick. The opportunities are going to be there, and it's just a matter of capitalizing on it. But, um, you know, as, as far as matchup, they're going to have a hard time moving because they don't have a ton of talent. But these are veteran wide receivers. They've had success in the past. They know how to play football. Darnold has a lot of very, very impressive tools. And, again, 
it's an opportunity for the corners to look really good. It's also an opportunity for the corners to get completely carved up, depending on how on how things turn out. Uh, I also mentioned yesterday, Mr. Chris Herndon, their tight end, is probably their best receiver. That's a problem for us because we don't really have anyone that can match up against tight ends. Not that this is an elite tight end, but still we're looking at, for example, Josh Jones as, as a potential guy to line up against him, and Josh Jones just hasn't been all that great. In fact, if he's good at anything, it's playing inside the box as a linebacker. So, you know, bottom line, that's just what it is. You've got two teams that are having offenses that just can't seem to figure out how to make the thing go. And one team's going to make it go a little bit better than the other, and that's going to be the end of that. And um, so that's pretty much all I got. 24 points and two picks. That's what the Packers need. At least one of those two things, or maybe both. I don't know. Get both, and we should be good. If we don't, however, then, uh, you know, kudos to the draft. And then we get another week of me screaming about how we need to bench Aaron Rodgers because (laughs) I don't want him to get hurt. So anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastical day. I'm going to see about getting some of this drafty stuff done. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.